0: Our good Lord, we ask that your word would be like a light to our hearts, that it would illuminate who you are and what you have done and how we can entrust all that we are fully in you. It's in your name we pray, amen. So over the years, I've had a couple of friends who have taken up flying, and in order to get your pilot's license, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of studying, a lot of training and a lot of, of practice and hours flying that you have to put into it. And some of the most critical parts of the training come after you've learned the basics of, of how to fly. And I don't know if, if it always happens this way, but it happened at least to one friend of mine where he was flying at, at night with one of his instructors, and it was, it was dark enough to where you really couldn't see anything around you, and you were high enough away from the land, and so you really couldn't see anything. And then the, the instructor took over the controls and started doing all of these different maneuvers. These dives, these, these loops, these climbs, these turns, these banks. And, and then in the middle of it, the instructor stops. And, want, and and your first inclination in that moment when you are given over the reins is to try to figure out what to do. And you're trying to figure out where you are In relation to the ground, and your immediate and natural response, which is actually wrong, is is to look inside your body in terms of what is your body telling you that's going on. Is my body telling me that we are in a nosedive? Is my body telling me that we are in a bank or that we are climbing? What what is my body feeling and perceiving is happening in this airplane? Right now, but what you don't realize is that in that moment your body is experiencing this phenomenon called spatial disorientation, also known as spatial D. And the FAA has done a ton of research on what this is. Basically, it's when your body tricks you into thinking one thing is happening when in reality something very different is taking place. Place. So you think your body says uh, we are climbing into safety, and in reality, you are nosediving into a mountain. And the lesson in this moment is simple and important trust your instruments. Your body in this moment is not a reliable guide to direct you towards safety and what's happening and where you need to go in order to arrive safely at your destination you need to trust the instruments that are before you there's something similar that that happens in life there there are things that happen around us and to us that get us all turned around there are disappointments There are setbacks, there's sickness, there's suffering, there's relational fallouts, life transitions, and our own personal failures that lead us into a state of complete disorientation. And and in those moments when we're confused and when we've been turned upside down, we, we often look inward to try to find the way forward. But in reality, we've lost our way. Where we are in the book of Exodus right now is is God's people have experienced something that has taken them for a complete loop. And they're utterly confused. And they're looking at their flight instruments that are saying, this is who God is and this is who he is for you. And they're looking at it and they're saying, that can't be right. Because based on our experience, it seems like we're in a nosedive heading straight into the side of a mountain. God says he's for us and he says that he is delivering us. But everything in our experience at this moment is telling us otherwise. So what happens to us when the good news of who God is? And who He says He is for us does not seem to connect with our reality, with our moment. What happens when there seems to be this great disconnect between God's character and who He says He is and what we are experiencing in this life? And that's the question we're going to be exploring this morning through our passage in Exodus. And I want to do this in three ways. I want to consider some big promises. I want to consider some broken hearts. And then finally want us to consider the God who over delivers. So big promises, broken hearts, the God who over delivers, and along the way, what all it means for us. So first, big promises. So here's where we are so far in Exodus. If you missed all of our series up to this point, if you're new, uh, God's people are in trouble. That's how the story opens up. They're enslaved, they're suffering, they're experiencing violence against the most vulnerable in their community, against their own children, and they are helpless to deliver themselves to do anything about it. But God is not distant. God is present. He is there. And he says, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them. And God comes to find Moses, who is not looking for God, but God is looking for Moses. And he says, I'm actually going to send you to be a part of this deliverance and I'm going to be with you. And Moses tries every way he can to find a way out, saying, ultimately, God, just please send somebody else. But what we saw is that God, his plans for Moses and his plans for us are much bigger and better than we have for ourselves. And so Moses goes and God says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to do this amazing deliverance. And Moses appears before Pharaoh, and he goes toe-to-toe with the most powerful person in the world and the most powerful empire. And he says, thus says the Lord God, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And at this point, Moses and the people and us as a reader are expecting this is the moment where God shows up. This is the moment where God delivers on all of those big promises that he made. And yet nothing happens. God is nowhere to be found. And Pharaoh is the one who actually takes action. Pharaoh makes their lives not better, but worse. And so now the people are completely confused and they don't know how to make sense of it. And then they turn against Moses and then they say, this is all your fault. Like slavery was bad, but now you've come in the picture and have just made everything worse for us. Why did we listen to you and why did we ever think that trusting you and following you and following this God that you claim to represent was ever a good idea? Plain, nosedive, side of the mountain. We don't want to follow you anymore. And then Moses takes that in and he turns against God. He's confused. He's been thrown for a loop. He says, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He's done evil to this people and you, you have not delivered your people at all. Moses and the people of Israel are experiencing what we could call spiritual disorientation. They look at their experiences and they are utterly confused about where they are, about who God is, about whether God can be trusted, and whether they just need to take matters into their own hands. And that's where we left off that last week. And that's where Exodus 6 begins this week. That's the backdrop of this conversation that's happening. But after that disaster... What we see is that God doesn't just back down. He doesn't just say, wow, that did not go at all like I hoped. Um, Sorry, I I tried. I tried hard. I thought he would listen, but that's all I can do. God, God doubles down on his promises. Verse one, he says, now... Now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send you out. And with a strong hand, he'll drive you out of this land. But he doesn't just stop there. God is very concerned with us and his people being deeply grounded in his love and his trustworthiness. And so he presses into them. Two foundational realities, working them in deeper that need to be worked into us as well. He says, I want you to find hope and security in who I am and in what I will do for you. Verse 2, he says, I am the Lord and I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And the Hebrew here helps us out a little bit. Anytime you see the word Lord all capitalized, uh, behind that is the Hebrew Yahweh. And it's God's personal name. And he says, up to this point, you've, you've known me in a certain way. But I'm about to reveal myself to you in a new way. It's not that the God that they are going to get is different. It's going to be deeper. Think about an iceberg. If you go up into the Arctic, you'll see icebergs floating everywhere, but all you see is the tip of the iceberg. God is saying, you have known me in a certain way as El Shaddai, as God Almighty, but you're about to know me because of what I'm about to do in a deeper, more personal, more profound way. My actions are about to tell you with vivid colors who I am for you. Verse five, I've heard their groaning. I've remembered my covenant and I remember the covenant promises I made to them. And now let me be clear on what I'm going to do. And this is, notice what God doesn't say here. He doesn't look at his people and say, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. In order for your rescue to happen, here's what you have to do to accomplish it. Seven times here in the short span we hear these words: I will. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's like a drumbeat. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be My people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land I swore to Abraham and I will give it to you for your possession. That is what I will do. Those are big promises. If you're hearing those, you can say, this God is our God. We are His treasure And He has just promised to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And at that moment, you would think that the response would be one of relief, one of hope, one of joy, one of gladness. But that is not the response we see. Which brings us to our second point. There are big promises, but what happens when those big promises find their landing spot on some very broken hearts? So in Charles Dickens' famous novel, Great Expectations, one of the main characters is a woman named Miss Havisham. And at one point, she was a beautiful and wealthy young woman and set to be married to a very promising young gentleman. But on her wedding day, as she is getting dressed and prepared and full of joy and anticipation at what's about to happen, she receives a letter. And it's a letter letting her know that she's not going to be married because her potential husband has left her and has actually uh, swindled her out of her wealth. And this unexpected event is so crushing that it just stops time for her. So in the novel, you meet her years later where she is all alone in her home, but she is still in her wedding dress. She's still wearing just one shoe. The wedding cake that was prepared on that day is still in her room, uneaten. And to make it even... More dramatic, all of the clocks in the house are stopped at 8.40 a.m., the exact time that she received this letter, the moment that her world just stopped. And the few people that know her try to help her, but she's stuck. What happened is this, this hard experience of life, of suffering, of hardship, It met with her heart in such a way that it broke her and that brokenness and that suffering just led only to more hardness and more stuckness. What it led to is a heart that cannot be moved by good news. And her suffering comes to define her in every aspect of her life. And it's going to have devastating effects on those around her. God's people have suffered greatly. And the difficulties of their life and the brokenness of their heart are combining together to form a certain hardness that is resistant to all of these big and good and gracious promises. All these things that God says, I will do for you, meet their hearts, and it just glances off. It just feels like words to them. Listen to verse 9. Moses spoke all these good promises, all these I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He spoke all these good promises to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Because why? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. They're they're in a state of spiritual disorientation. They're, They're looking at the instruments. It's like, okay, God, you've made these great promises. I see that, but I'm looking out the window and what I feel is something very different. What does that look like for you? God, you say that you love me but it feels like you are indifferent or angry. God, you say you're with me, but I feel all alone. God, you say that I am forgiven, but I feel guilty. God, you say I'm clean, but I feel this tremendous shame. You say I'm your child, but it feels like I'm just an orphan. You say that you are my protector, but it just feels like I'm all alone. You say that you are my provider, but there are some things in life that I want so badly that I am not getting. You say that your kingdom is breaking in here and now, bringing hope and healing, but it seems like life is an utter mess. Where do you feel that gap between your perception of life and the promises of God for you? At this point, it's not just the people, but Moses is also discouraged. Verse 12, your own people haven't listened to you. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Why, this, is, this is a circus. Why are we still doing this? Big promises meet broken hearts. Final point, the God who over delivers. We live in a world... Of broken promises. Where people overpromise and underdeliver. And God makes some very big promises. And what the question for us is, is he going to shortchange his people? But what we're going to see, and this is we're, we're about to get out of Egypt. So we've been building up to this. What we are going to see is every single one of those I will statements we are going to be able to check off in the next few weeks. I will, done, I will, done, I will, done, I will, done. All of those. God is faithful. But what we are also going to see as we go through Exodus, because Exodus goes far beyond just their deliverance from Egypt. What we are going to see is their trouble goes much deeper than external circumstances their trouble and their deepest problems is not just an out there kind of problem and an out there kind of danger, but an in here kind of problem and an in here kind of danger. And this is going to be the story of the whole New Testament, of God's people. What we need is not just external deliverance. We need a Savior, not only who can deliver us from external bondage, but from someone who can do what needs to be done inside of us. Kind Shortened version, sin has caused a a kind of deadness inside of us that does not move towards God, but it moves away from Him. So whatever God might do for us externally, the greatest thing He can do for us is to work out something inside of us. And this gets to the heart of the Gospel, of the good news of what Jesus has come to do for us. What He and He alone could do that we could not do for ourselves. Continue on in Ephesians. But God, who is He? He's one who is rich in mercy. He's wealthy. He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us. So we just read bad news. Very bad news. This is good. Very good news. With which He loved us. Even when we were dead, In our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, as as forever unfolds, we might see more clearly the immeasurable riches of His grace and His kindness. So, as the centuries and millennia go by, we will be more and more in awe of what He has done for us and His grace. Was this our doing? No, it's by grace. It's not your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of anything that you have done. The hope of the gospel that we remember, that we celebrate, is not a bunch of I wills from us. I will try harder, I will do better. I will be better. The hope of the gospel is a big I will from God Himself. And as we remember from 2 Corinthians, and this was one of the reflections, all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. All those big promises, God over delivers through a crucified son on a cross and a risen Savior to rescue us from everything that seeks to undo us and give us a forever kind of life, that's the good news of a God who over delivers. When you find yourselves in these places of confusion, hurt, and disorientation, where do you look? What do you bank on? Where do you find your stability? Is it in your own perception, or is it in the promises of God? I'll close with a personal note. Um, I live so much of my life here in this tension. I find my own heart forgetting so easily these good things that God has said. And often I find myself, and I don't think this is just unique to being a pastor. I think we all feel this in some ways, but we, there is a lot of brokenness around us. There is a lot of darkness around us. There are many reasons to say God is nowhere to be found. All of this stuff that we're talking about is just a circus act. And what I, in my changing moods, what I need and what we need is, is to look at the flight instruments around us. When I look outside the window, I see a big mountain and it's coming fast and the ground's coming fast. And I look at the instruments and it says, God is with me. It says, God is good. It says, God is for me. It says, these promises are secured on the cross. It's a God who says, I, I will do whatever it takes to be good to you. And I will never let you go. I don't know what that looks like for you. But it's one of the reasons why a gathering like this is so important. Week in, week out, to why hearing these words day in and day out, of why community is such a valuable gift. Because we all experience this kind of disorientation so easily, and we are hungry and thirsty and desperate for good news. Let's be a people who who remember and celebrate and press this and pray this into one another. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we just we need you. We just need you. Um, I pray you be everything that you've promised to be and more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.